Welcome to Woodlands Church. Hey guys, uh, God bless you. This is, um, you know, a very interesting time, but I know that Christ's time is God's time. And at Woodlands Church, we're gonna worship the Lord, and it's amazing. We got our whole worship team up here. It feels like Easter, uh, and one of the things I want you to know about Woodlands Church is that we don't panic, but we pray. Uh, we're a people of God, and Christ followers don't panic. We pray, and the president has declared this a national day of prayer, and I think that's so appropriate with um, all of the fears of the coronavirus and all of the unknown, and, and um, we're praying for people who are sick, for people who have been affected by it, for, and that's every one of us, um, praying for businesses and, and families um, we're praying for those in the most at-risk group, uh, and we're just really seeking the Lord and praying because in the middle of the bad, God can work good. God doesn't cause bad things. God doesn't cause evil, but God can take anything, and he can bring good out of it. And one of the things that it has done is it has caused us to really test who we're trusting in. When a microscopic virus can shut down whole economies and, and create such fear and panic in the markets and, and really um, create fear in every one of us, it's so important to understand that we have a God who never changes, who we can always trust, and we go to him and we seek him. And so this is a time to really test what you're trusting in. Now, it's pretty amazing that um, we're still meeting today. See, at Woodlands Church, we don't cancel things, we just think of new ways to reach people and that's what we've done. So we're not meeting in our physical locations at our three campuses and we're doing that to try to be uh, loving, not fearful but loving toward especially the most vulnerable during this time and we're also doing that because you know we've talked to the experts who've recommended that and so trying to do everything that we can. Uh, we're not meeting at our physical locations, but we're still meeting at Woodland Church. And because so many of you are gathering in homes and the church is not a building, the church is a people, the body of Christ. The church is not a place you go, it's a people who follow God and worship God. And so we're still meeting at Woodland Church. In fact, I believe we're gonna have the largest attendance in the history of our church. There were 8,600 who attended our Saturday night service last night online in homes, uh, gathering with families, gathering with life groups. And we really encourage you to gather with your life group. And um, we had neighbors and friends, people this morning cooking breakfast for neighbors and inviting them over to have church together. So that's what we're doing. We're having church together. In fact, um, Last night at the Saturday night service, uh, we had um, several groups that were meeting all around, and one was a student life group, and here's a little video from them. I love that. I mean, isn't that awesome? There they were, worshiping the Lord, and so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to worship the Lord, and uh, we're going to sing his praises and lift him up, because as we said last week, um, this is a time... We don't have to fear the future, but we can praise God in the present. 
we can praise God in the present. And so that's what we're going to do. So I really encourage you. The words will be on your screen. I really encourage you to sing praises to God. And maybe you're by yourself and sing as loud as you want to sing then. If you're with others and you're like me and you can't carry a tune, then maybe don't sing quite as loud. But we're going to sing praises to the Lord and just lift him up today because we know God is in control. And God wants to bring you peace today. He wants to fill you with his wisdom and strength today. And we're here for you. In fact, right now our pastors are um, online and you can ask them questions. And we're gonna do a Q&A at the end of the service. Um, you can ask them for prayer. We're here to pray for you, to lift you up on this National Day of Prayer. So thanks so much for joining us here at Woodland Church. You know, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we also know what the ultimate future holds, that we win in the end and that God will see us through and we have heaven one day. So we got a lot to thank the Lord for and to praise him for today. So you can stand up in your home, you, wherever you're watching, um, or you can sit down, you can raise your hands or uh, you can just relax, whatever you wanna do, but let's praise the Lord. Let's give him all the glory and all the honor because we're gonna lift up Jesus Christ because he's the one we look to during times of trouble. He's the one that we can always count on. God bless you, Woodland Church. We love you. Let's sing to the Lord God. I'm so glad that we can run to the Father when we're fearful, and it's okay to have that feeling of worry flood your heart and your soul, uh, but then God wants us to focus on him and run to the Father. He holds us and, and lifts us up. And so you're gonna be really encouraged today. Um, in a little bit, Pastor Lee Strobel is gonna come teach an amazing message on the antidote to worry. And I know God's gonna use it in your life in a really powerful way. Um, but it is a national day of prayer. And Chris and I want you to know, Woodland Church, we're praying for you. We're praying for all those who've been affected by the coronavirus and those who are sick and and just, I know everyone is just trying to figure out exactly what to do, so we're praying for you for wisdom, for strength, for health, um, and we know that God wants to give you his peace during this time. We're also speaking blessings over you. I think that's so important. You know, the psalmist prayed to the Lord, bless me, O God, and let your face shine upon me so that your ways may be known on the earth. So we're speaking blessings in Jesus' name. We speak blessings of peace in the middle of confusion. We speak blessings of health and strength and protection. We speak blessings of wisdom. We speak blessings of provision, all in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray that he blesses you to be a blessing to others during this time, that he blesses you with the things that money could never buy, peace and hope and purpose, meaning, and those things that we only truly discover in times like these. And so I know God wants to give you those amazing gifts. He wants to meet your every need. And we're praying for you in a huge way. Hey, by the way, um, if you have children, uh, we have a kids service that is online. You go to wc.org and you can just click on the kids service and our amazing children's team has put together all these kids services for every age group, and it's awesome. We really want you to do that. If you're not in a life group, 
You ought to get in a life group. You go on the website and you can get connected to a life group. And we would love for you to uh, let people know about these services. We're doing them live. So the next one will be at 1130. And then we're also going to have uh, pastors here for chat at 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. or 6 p.m. And then every day at 10 a.m. and 7 p.m. this week, we're going to have those services. Uh, So as I said, we're not canceling. We're just adding at Woodlands Church. Um, But why don't we just bow together and pray right now? Dear God, we come before you and we just thank you for your love for us. And Lord, without you, Lord, there would be no hope. Without you, we'd have every right to fear. But Lord, we have you. And you said 365 times in your word, do not be afraid. Do not fear. And and so Lord, I, I just thank you that you wanna fill us with peace today and I pray that you would do that. That you'd bring healing and protection. That you, Lord God, would just... Hear our prayers with all the thousands of others, and we pray for all the parts of the, na- of the nation that are really struggling. We pray, Lord, for our community and for our city. We also pray, Lord, for places in the world, in Europe and China and South Korea and Iran that have really been hit so hard by the coronavirus. Lord, we pray for healing all over the world and that you would point people to you, Jesus Christ. The only way we can find true peace is in you. So we just pray, Lord, for your protection, for your strength, for your healing, for your blessing in our lives. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, guys, um, Pastor Lee Strobel is going to come up here right now. And after Lee preaches, uh, we're going to come back and do some question and answer. And so please, uh, on our chat room, just ask questions and Our pastors are here to pray for you right now, but Lee and I are gonna come up and answer some of those questions, so we invite your questions about anything um, during this time. But give a warm, willing church welcome wherever you are to our dear friend, Pastor Lee Strobel. Yeah. (laughs) Well, hello. You know, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a virus going around. In fact, experts say it's a pandemic. But I'm not talking about the coronavirus. I'm talking about a different kind of virus. I'm talking about the virus of worry. Yes, of course, our legitimate concerns over the coronavirus are fueling a lot of our anxiety these days. But our tendency to fret, to worry, to stew, to feel fear, to feel high anxiety go far beyond the current medical crisis. One prominent psychologist called worry one of the most urgent problems of our day. And that's why we're addressing it as part two of our series on the uh, emotional roller coaster. Now, maybe you can relate to this question of worry. Maybe you've got worries that you wrestle with. In fact, I was going to ask everybody to kind of break into little groups of two or three or four people and share what your biggest worries in life are. But then I thought, wait a minute, social distancing, can't do that anymore. And then I started to think, man, if you're an introvert, social distancing has got to be an answer to prayer. (laughs) It's like nirvana for the introverts. But I'll be, I'll be the first person to be vulnerable. Let me talk to you about some of the worries I've experienced uh, in my life. Um, I think of going back when I was a kid. You know, I worried about my brothers beating me up. 
And then I went to high school, and I worried about wearing the right clothes and being in with the right groups and going to the right college. And then in college, I worried about getting drafted into the Vietnam War. And I worried whether I'd get a job that would be able to support myself after graduation. And then after graduation at the Chicago Tribune, I worried about getting scooped by the competition or getting sued for libel. And then when I became a father, I began to worry when my kids would get sick or when they get that first phone call from a member of the opposite sex. So I wish I could honestly say that, you know, when I became a Christian, all of that dissipated, all of that evaporated. And now um, I'm just full of peace and joy and, uh, well, that's not exactly what's happened. The truth is there are still those nights when I lie awake at night and I worry about my grandkids or I worry about making my next book deadline, or I worry about my rising cholesterol levels, or I worry that the coronavirus is going to come knocking at my door. And let's be honest, I mean, you worry too, don't you? We all do. In fact, studies have shown that two out of five American adults worry every single day. And it's not just a problem that we experience in our culture, in our day. We can go to the Bible and see that biblical figures experience it too, going back all the way to King David, all the way forward in the Bible to the Apostle Paul. In fact, even Jesus endured incredible anguish as he was approaching his crucifixion. Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 38 say this, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. In fact, in his gospel, Luke adds another detail to this. He says in Luke 22, verse 44, and being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, when I was a skeptic, I thought, wait a minute, that's just hyperbole. That's, they must have made that up. Who's ever heard of anybody sweating blood? But then I did some research. You know what I found? There is a known medical condition called hemotidrosis. And in hemotidrosis, this is where severe anxiety causes a release of chemicals that break down the capillaries in our sweat glands. And as a result, there's a small amount of bleeding into those sweat glands, and our sweat comes out actually tinged with blood. In fact, I found that the Journal of Medicine analyzed 76 cases of hematidrosis, and they concluded the most common, common causes were acute fear and intense mental contemplation. But here's the difference between Jesus and us. Jesus was in anguish because he knew what was coming. We often wrestle with worry because we don't know what's coming. We don't know. We're fearful of the future. The future is uncertain, and it scares us. It seems ominous. It seems dangerous. Now, we have to admit, there are those times when worry does accomplish some good things. That's when it's a healthy kind of concern. It's what psychologists call productive worrying, and that can be positive. That can help us take steps toward finding solutions to the issue facing us. A good example is Woodlands Church. 
you know, faced with um, the coronavirus outbreak and the recommendations of the CDC and others, uh, you know, Woodlands Church has taken some prudent steps uh, over the legitimate concern over coronavirus. And so we're doing church online today instead of in person to try to uh, mitigate and, and, and prevent the spread of the virus. You know, the Bible says in Matthew 10, verse 16, we're to be wise, we're to act wisely. And I think that's a wise step to take, that our concern has prompted us to take prudent and wise steps. But when worry and anxiety are allowed to run amok, as they do in about one out of every 10 people, that's when danger sets in. Physicians tell us that uncontrolled worry can lead to depression and insomnia and digestive disorders and coronary artery disease and even heart attacks. So when worry sets in, what's a Christian to do? What should we do? Well, what I found is that Christians have some advantages when worry sets in because we recognize worry for what it really is. You know what it really is? For us, worry is spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. Now, we all know what amnesia is, right? I, I used to know. I, I can't quite remember what it, But <laughs> we all know what amnesia is. Well, what is spiritual amnesia? Spiritual amnesia is uh, when we get worried and full of anxiety and uh, nervousness over our future because we have forgotten tr God's track record of helping us in our past. You get that spiritual amnesia is when we get all worried and nervous and anxiety-ridden over our future because we've forgotten God's track record in helping us in our past. Let me give an example from the Bible, from the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark, of, Ma of Mark, Mark chapter 6. This is where Jesus has been teaching to a crowd of 5,000 people. And verses 35 through 37 tell us this. Late in the afternoon, the disciples came to Jesus and said, tell the people to go away to the nearby villages and farms and buy themselves some food, for there is nothing to eat here in this desolate spot, and it's getting late. In other words, the disciples are getting worried. They're getting worried because they realize this is a huge crowd of 5,000 people, and there isn't a Chick-fil-A in sight. So what do we do? They're seeming, this is impossible. This is an impossible situation. But Jesus puts it on them. Jesus says, you feed them. And now the disciples really get worried. Now they really start to fret. They say, with what? says, it would take a fortune to buy food for all of this crowd. The disciples were wringing their hands in panic. Why? Because they were experiencing spiritual amnesia. They forgot what happened in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus healed Peter's mother of a fever. And verse 34 says, he healed many who were sick with various diseases. And they forgot how in Mark chapter 2, he healed a paralytic man in Capernaum. And they forgot how in Mark chapter 3, he healed a, a man's shriveled hand right there in the synagogue. And they forgot how in Mark chapter 4, he calmed the storm when it threatened to capsize the boat that they were in. And how in Mark chapter 5, he raised a 12-year-old girl from the dead. They forgot all that because right before their own eyes, Jesus had repeatedly demonstrated miraculous powers over illness and nature and death. 
And if they had remembered all of that, then they wouldn't have been so nervous about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. They would have relaxed and say, oh, he's got this. If he can do all of that, then certainly he can feed 5,000 people. And indeed, he did end up multiplying five loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And he did end up miraculously feeding the 5,000 people. But here's the kicker. Just two chapters later in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is again talking to a crowd. This time it's a crowd of 4,000 people. And guess what? He wants to feed them too. So how do the disciples react? Do they keep their cool and say, oh, no, I remember last time. He's got this. He's going to be able to handle this. No problem. No. They whine and they get all worried and they grouse and they complain. Mark 8, chapter 4 says, and his disciples replied to him, how can anyone fill and satisfy these people with loaves of bread here in this desolate and uninhabited region? And this is impossible. It was another classic case of spiritual amnesia. They forgot how he fed the 5,000, or they wouldn't be all bent out of shape about how he was going to feed the 4,000. And by the way, he did end up miraculously feeding the 4,000 with just this time seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. Now, we hear those examples and we think, well, how dumb can the disciples be? How full of amnesia can they be? And yet, then we stop and say, well, wait a minute, what about me? What about me when all of those times I get mired in worry because I've forgotten how many times God has come through for me, how many times he has been faithful, how many times he has rescued me even when I thought it was impossible for him to do it. Of course, the antidote to forgetting is remembering. And the Bible gives us a prescription for how to get over our tendency towards spiritual amnesia. We find it in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. It says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, we pray. I mean, let's face it. It is really hard to be paralyzed by worry and at the same time be praying to God. But notice this is a specific kind of prayer. Notice that this is a prayer that includes thanksgiving. It includes thanksgiving. So the first step we take dealing with worry is to practice what one author called thank God therapy. Thank God therapy. This is what that means. First, we talk to God in honest terms about the anxiety we're feeling, about the worry that is is weighing us down. I like what a friend of mine tweeted just a few days ago. She said, praying has a better chance of changing tomorrow than worrying. I thought that was pretty good. Praying has a better chance of changing tomorrow than worry. But second, as part of our prayer, we need to include thanksgiving. We need to thank God for his promises to us and for his track record of fulfilling those promises to us and to others in the past. For example, we thank God that he knows all about our individual situation and that he wants the very best for us. We thank him for the promise that he's never 
going to abandon us. He's never going to walk away from us. We thank him for his promise that he will meet our needs. We thank him for his promise that he will cause whatever happens to his followers ultimately to work together for our greater benefit. We thank him because he's always come through for us in the past, even when we doubted that he would. And then we bring to mind specific examples of how he has come into our life and rescued us in the past. And we thank him individually for those acts of kindness on his part. We thank him for his promise always to be present in our lives. We thank him that he intervenes always at exactly the right time in exactly the right way, he intervenes in our circumstances to accomplish exactly what he wants to accomplish. We thank him for his promise in Isaiah 41, verse 10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And we thank him for his promise in Joshua 1, verse 9. It says, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Can you see what thanking God accomplishes? The first thing is it's totally appropriate because it is a form of worship. We are recognizing and honoring God for who he is and what he does. But secondly, this refocuses our thinking. Instead of merely dwelling on our worries, we're reminded of his power. We're reminded of his promises. We're reminded of his commitment to us and his promise that he will be with us regardless of our circumstances. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And Psalm 56, verse 3 says, When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Friends, Christianity does not immunize us against the virus of worry, but it does give us a treatment plan that works. I counted 18 times in the Gospels where Jesus specifically says, Do not be afraid. He said in John 14, verse 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, remember, God is still in control. Remember, God is still on his throne. So the first thing we do in dealing with worry that uh, invades our life is to practice thank God therapy. The second step is to ask God to help you turn your anxieties into solutions. And we do that by turning our what if questions into how can I questions. We turn our what if questions into how can I questions. Let me explain what I mean by that. Often when we're racked with worry, we fall into a pattern of torturing ourselves with these what if questions. What if I can't pay my mortgage this month? What if I do terrible in this job interview? What if my doctor uh, gives me bad news? What if the stock market continues to go down? What if I don't get that promotion at work? 
And as a result, we often get stuck in this unproductive spiral of worry. Corey Tindum put it this way. She said, worry is like a rocking chair. It keeps you moving, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So instead, ask God to help you reframe your question. Instead of dwelling on what if, turn the question into how can I? For example, you might be fretting about a course that you're taking at school, and you're afraid you're going to fail this course, and, and you're, just, you're just mired in asking yourself, what if I fail the final exam? What if I fail the final exam? Ask God to get you out of that cycle and turn it into a how can I question like this. How can I prepare properly so that I can do well on the exam? So now we've moved from the worry side to the solution side. Or you're stuck in a pattern of asking, you know, what if my girlfriend dumps me? And it's leading to depression, it's leading to anxiety. But you can turn that into a how can I question. How can I deepen my relationship with my girlfriend or arrange a candid conversation with her about how we're really doing as a couple? Or maybe you're fixed on what if I get the coronavirus? Instead, ask God to help you seek solutions. Ask the question, how can I take reasonable precautions to stay safe? You see what I mean? Turn what-if questions into how-can-I questions. It can release us from this cycle of worry. It can help us concentrate on solutions. Proverbs 16, verses 3 and 4 say this. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end. But I got to address one other issue. And this is really the elephant in the room. This is our biggest worry. Why, why are so many people afraid of the coronavirus? Because it's 10 times more deadly than the regular flu. And let's be honest, many of us are afraid of dying. In fact, 35% of Americans are so afraid of death that they can't even talk about the topic. They completely avoid it at all costs. Death, friends, is our biggest fear. Last week, I got a phone call, 8.30 in the morning, from my sister. And she let me know that our older brother, Ray, uh, had died that morning from the flu. He had undergone surgery, and he was in a weakened condition. And in recovery at a nursing home, he contracted the flu, and he died. And I tell you, that really brought the immediacy of this issue to the forefront in our hearts and in our lives. Ray was an, athe an atheist. He was an adamant atheist his whole life. I am hopeful that in those waning moments of his life, when he realized that he was going to die, that he reached out and he called upon the Lord. Because the Bible says in Romans, everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. I think of my father-in-law, who was an atheist. He came to faith in Jesus Christ after 89 years of atheism. He came to faith in Christ in the last cogent conversation of his life. He had a stroke then, and then he died. And you know what? We're going to spend all of eternity with him in heaven. 
Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you know, I used to be an atheist like my brother. And I can remember those days. I can remember the days believing there is no hope beyond the grave. There is no God. And staring out into the darkness at night and wondering, is this this all that there is to life? Is this all that there is? And when I die, is this the end? Do I just just rot in in a casket? There's an ominous sense of hopelessness that grips you when you do not have the security of knowing that you're safely adopted as a child of God. But today, of course, my attitude is far different because as a Christian, I have hope that death is not an ending, but it is really a new beginning. But you have to understand something about this hope that I have. It is not wishful thinking. It is not some kind of uh, blind optimism. It is not some, oh, golly, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope as much as I can that this is true and there really is a God and I'm really going to heaven. That is not biblical hope. The antidote to the virus of worry over death is what the Bible calls living hope. Living hope. Listen to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God of our Father. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, in the Bible, our hope, this living hope, is linked with the historic reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't just claim to be the Son of God. He proved it by returning from the dead. He conquered the grave, and he promises that all who follow him will conquer the grave as well. Friends, that is living hope. And it was the historical evidence for the reality of the resurrection that brought me all the way from atheism to faith in Christ. Because what I learned is there is an avalanche of historical evidence that gives us confidence that Jesus did return from the dead. He did conquer the grave. And therefore, when he says, so will my followers, we can trust that it's true. What is the evidence? I can summarize it really quickly using four words that begin with the letter E. The first E stands for execution, that Jesus was dead after being crucified. You know, there is no um, record anywhere of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. In fact, no less of a source than the Journal of the American Medical Association, a secular peer-reviewed, scientific, medical journal published an investigation into the death of Jesus Christ, and this was their conclusion, quote, clearly the weight of the historical and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. The second E stands for early. We have early reports or early accounts that Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, reports that go right back to the scene itself. Why is that important? Because I used to think, like a lot of skeptics, the resurrection was a legend. And I knew in the ancient world, the passage of two generations of time was not even enough for legend to grow up and wipe out a solid core of historical truth. But we have, as I discovered, a report of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that includes named eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses that has been dated back by scholars 
to within months of the death of Jesus, within months. That, friends, is a newsflash from history. That is historical gold. And it tells us that the resurrection of Jesus cannot merely be a legend. The third E stands for the word empty. We have an empty tomb. How do we know? Because even the opponents of Jesus admitted the tomb was empty. Because when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, well, um, the disciples stole the body. They're conceding the tomb is empty. They're just trying to explain how it got empty. And their explanation makes no sense. Disciples didn't have the motive, they didn't have the means, and they didn't have the opportunity. I think the best explanation for the tomb being empty is that Jesus rose from the dead, especially when we combine it with the fourth word that begins with E, which is eyewitnesses. You know, most of what we know about ancient history, we know from one or, or maybe two sources of information. And yet, for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Christ. Friends, that is an avalanche of historical data, an avalanche of historical data. Plus, we've got seven ancient sources, six of them outside the Bible, that tell us that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. In other words, they were willing to die for their conviction that Jesus had risen. Think about that. Of all human beings who've ever lived in history, they and only they were in a position to know for a fact whether this is true. They talked to the resurrected Jesus. They ate with him. They touched him. They, of all people who have ever lived, they knew that whether this was true or whether it was a lie. And knowing it was true, they were willing to die for it. That tells me something about the veracity of their claim. Friends, because we can have this kind of confidence that Jesus rose from the dead then we can be supremely confident as well that he's telling the truth to us when he says, if you're my follower, you will conquer death as well and spend eternity for me, with me. And so think of this. What's the very worst thing that could happen to you as a result of the coronavirus? Worst case scenario, what's the worst thing? In an ultimate sense, the very worst thing the coronavirus can do to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ is to usher you in to the glorious presence of your Savior forever. And that's something to think about. Jesus said in John 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And that, friends, changes everything. So let me end with a story. It's a true story about Donald Barnhouse, who's a minister. His wife died at a rather young age. She was in her 30s. She contracted cancer. She died, and she left behind three children who were under the age of 12. And so Dr. Barnhouse was driving the children to the funeral of his wife, and he was going to preside at that funeral service. And as they're driving along the highway, all of a sudden, a, a, a large truck 
past them, and it cast a shadow on their car. And Barnhouse's oldest daughter was just kind of staring silently out the window. And he said to her, he said, tell me, sweetheart, which would be better, to be run over by the truck or to be run over by its shadow? And she said, well, by the shadow, I guess, because it can't hurt you. And he said to his children, your mother has not been overrun by death, but by the shadow of death. And that is nothing to be afraid of. And then when he got to, his, to her funeral service, he picked up his Bible and he turned it to one of the most familiar passages in the whole Bible, the 23rd Psalm. It says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, Lord, are with me. Friends, when dark times come, in those moments at night, we tend to see shadows, don't we? Shadows of worry and doubt and fear, even shadows of death. I mean, you might remember when you were a little kid and, and you'd go to bed and, and you see shadows on the wall and you get all worried and, and frantic and, and full of anxiety and you call out to your parents and your parents would come and what would they do? They'd flip on the light and the light would chase away the shadows and it would remind you that your parents are still in control. Well, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And friends, my experience as a follower of Jesus Christ is this. Jesus Christ is the only light that can truly chase away the shadow of death, the shadow of worry, the shadow of anxiety, the shadow of fear. But you know, a lot of the worries that people have these days involve the question of where they stand with God. Do you ever worry about that? Do you ever wonder, am I okay with God? Am I in good standing with God? Am I a follower of God? Have I been adopted as a child of God? Often that's our worry. But you know, the Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, these things are written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. God's saying, I don't want you to have anxiety over where you stand with me. I don't want you fretting about that. I don't want you worrying about that. You can know for a fact that you have been adopted as his child forever and that you will spend eternity in his presence after you leave this world. And so in a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And that opportunity is to have your sins wiped away. This opportunity is an opportunity to know Jesus Christ in a personal way the rest of your life. This is an opportunity to know for a fact that when you close your eyes for the last time in this world and you open them in the next, it will be in the presence of your Savior forever. I want to give you that opportunity. Romans 10, verse 13, I quoted it earlier. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Are you ready to do that? Wherever you're at, I'm not even going to ask you to close your eyes. Just look at me. Just look at me. Wherever you're at, if you want to take that step, 
just in your heart, or if you want to say it out loud, that's fine, but just in your heart you can say it, because God knows your heart. Just say, Father, right now I admit the obvious, which is that I am a sinner. I confess that, and I want to turn from that. And in an attitude of repentance and faith, I want to receive. Receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that your son purchased for me on the cross when he died as my substitute to pay for all of my sin. Thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son to be sacrificed so that we could be reconciled forever. Help me, Father, to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Because from this moment on, I am yours. And now, Father, we thank you for those who have taken that step just now, received your free gift of grace, made possible by your son's death on the cross when he died for all of our sins. We think of the the 47 people that took that step last night and were able to wake up today with a fresh sense of peace, knowing that they've been adopted as your children. We pray for those that have taken that step just now. Help them grow in their faith. We pray for all that are facing anxiety and worry over this corona outbreak. God, give us courage. Help us to avoid spiritual amnesia, to remember that you are still on the throne, and that's all that really matters. We pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lee. Amazing message. And... uh, how needed. I know God used it and spoke to you, and, and that's the way God works, you know. He speaks to our hearts and fills us with his peace and his strength, and, and I know that's what he did just now. And by the way, if you pray to receive Christ, you can click that online, and it has a little hand raise so that we know that you've received Christ, and we can send you information on how to grow in your faith. So we want to know that, so do that right now. Um, and now we're at the part of our service where we give back to God some of what he has given us. And I think it's a really important time to give because as many things shut down, um, the church ministries rev up to make a huge difference. And we've been setting up a, a war room basically here at the church to really plan, prepare for all the ministries and to activate them to make such a difference. And you know, one of the things we want to know about is if you're in the at-risk group and Maybe you're elderly. Um, would you let us know if you have a need? You can just um, let us know right now. You can call us or you can uh, just go in the chat room and let people know right now if you have a need because we're gathering needs and um, we're going to be announcing Monday. Chris and I are going to do a daily video update and you can get it on the website, wc.org. And we're going to do a daily video update to let you know because things change so rapidly. And just like in Hurricane Harvey, when we needed supplies and you guys were there, uh, there's going to be a lot of things like that to help out the medical professionals and to also 
um, be used of God in a powerful way. And we're going to start letting you know that on Monday. Some of the things that we need you to do um, in a huge way. But the first thing you can do is just give. And the way you give is wc.org slash give. wc.org slash give. And there's a place to do that right there. And uh, we just encourage you to, to give because what a time of testing of our faith. And one of the ways God tests our faith is through our giving. And God says, you can test me in that. And that is, if you give in faith, rather than hold back in fear, then God says, I will meet your needs. I'm gonna see you through. And God says, you can test me in that because my name and my character is at stake. And so I really encourage you to do that. Just give, and maybe you've never given online. Um, it's a great way to give. And just go to wc.org slash give. wc.org slash give. And give, and, and give in faith. Give based on the character of Christ and his promises. As he says, give, and it will be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For with the measure you use, it will be measured unto you. God says, I want to meet your needs in this time of uncertainty for my glory. Or you can text give WC, that's one word, give WC, to 77977. You can give right there on your phone. Text give WC, one word, to 77977. Uh, and then also you can get our Woodlands Church app. Go to the App Store and, and look up Woodlands Church app. Get the app, and that's the way that you can give regularly and also get updates on the app. There's so many ways to do that. But let's give right now for the glory of God. And then after our offering, Lee and I are gonna come back and we're gonna take your questions. Do a little question and answer, and, and we want you to ask your questions. There's a lot of questions, a lot of confusion, and, and um, we certainly don't know all the answers, but we wanna talk to you about those questions and, and give you answers from God's word. So send in your questions right now. Dear Lord, I pray that you would just bless our giving for your glory. We thank you, Lord, that it's during times like these that we get to test your character and your character always comes through. As Lee said, Lord, we just need to remember all the things that you've done for us. And so I pray, Lord, during this time that you would shine. During this dark time that you would be a light through the church, that we would just rise up in ministry to make such a difference boldly and in faith for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey church, thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.